three of this awesome series called Made Good, exploring this book of Titus. And um, I just want to start off this morning, I just got to confess to you guys that I'm entering into today with like a little bit of a, in in a funk, you know, and like even Elizabeth was sharing, she's kind of had a a weird week and I think we're all kind of there a bit, but I just want you to know that um, in order to frame kind of what we're doing today, I, I need you to know that my heart is kind of uh, in a place where I'm learning a lot of this stuff, like, right now, okay? Um, and so as we talk about living a life that's made good, as we talk about letting the grace of God shape us and mold us, uh, just know that, you know, some pretty hefty slabs of granite have been chiseled off of this guy uh, this week, and so uh, I just wanted to say that. So if anything comes out of my mouth that sounds like, oh, you know, he must be judging me or something, uh, no, it's just that I'm, you know, I'm bad too. So, uh, as we continue this, uh, through this little book, um, we're going to see the lessons um, that Paul had for Timothy, or for Titus, rather. Uh, Titus was this young leader, we'll talk about that in a second, and we're just exploring how, uh, through the words of Paul, he was trying to get this church in Crete to, to be good. He, w- he wanted it to be good, to be fruitful, to, to have this kind of reputation for being good, and that through the grace of God... Uh, it can transform an entire region, an entire country, and uh, uh, that, whole, that whole thing. So uh, we're going to look at that a little bit. Um, it's a short letter. It's challenging. It's pragmatic. Uh, it offers us the chance to orient ourselves around the teachings of Jesus, which is always a good thing. We're a fan of that here. Um, and we can be set apart, kind of like given the task of doing these good things. And so that's kind of the idea that we're uh, exploring um, if you were with us uh, when we started this series, Pastor Wade shared with us a lot of like history around the book, and he kind of gave us a really good uh, uh, framework that we can work from. And so if you missed it, make sure you go back to the podcast and you can check that out. Um, and, you know, do all those like, comment, subscribe thingies that all the YouTubers do these days. Um, the book is written from Paul at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, in fact, and he's writing to this young leader this young pastor named Titus. Uh, And Titus was headed to this island of Crete. And uh, Crete is an island, it's actually the largest island in Greece right now. And so if you know anything about Greece, uh, it's that little island that you always see on the the maps and stuff. And Titus was headed there. And as we approach this letter, it's going to feel, this morning maybe more than any other morning, it's going to feel a little bit abrupt. It's going to feel a little like, oh, we just cut through all of the pleasantries of a normal human conversation, and we just got right down to business. And, and really, that's kind of the attitude of this letter. Paul's this grizzled old kind of ministry veteran. He'd been shipwrecked like a million times, and you know he'd had all these experiences, and life had just really given him a, a, uh, a good perspective. Uh, but, but he's writing to this young leader, talking shop. He's just kind of giving him the bullet points, right? So, so it's going to feel like that a bit. Um, Paul actually explains a lot more of the concepts that we're going to explore today in his other works. You know, Galatians, Ephesians, First and Second uh, Corinthians. There's, there's lots of books that Paul wrote that he explores some of these ideas. Um, and he's just given us, like I said, the spark notes this morning. Uh, Pastor Wade walked us through um, the expectations of leaders in week one. What does a leader look like? What does he act like? What does what does she do? What does he do? What are, the, what are we supposed to see when we look at a leader? This about character and generosity, all that kind of stuff. Last week we saw uh, Paul, he, he sort of walked Titus through these major influencers that are going to be, uh, to play a role in a church, right? 
and 2,000 years, it wasn't any different. Religion and culture are two of the biggest influencers in the church, right? So he's, he sort of made Titus aware of those things and um, that, that we should be uh, characterized that, uh, by, by the good things that come out of both of those areas of influence. Religion can be a good thing. It can also be a very bad thing, right? Same with culture. Culture can be a very good thing. It can also cause a lot of damage. So we're, we're hoping to be fruitful in our, in our ministry, and that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to see kind of the rubber meeting the road a bit, right? Paul gets down to business, um, uh, and like I said, I'm learning a lot of this stuff right now. You know, I'm learning how to be a better pastor, how to be a better father and husband and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about is kind of zeroing in on the individual this morning, right? We're going to be challenged by the Apostle Paul this morning to be characterized by good. We're going to get some tips on how to do that. Um, and so I'm excited to, to jump into this this morning, and I hope you are too. If you want, you can open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. That's where we'll be, Titus chapter 2. Um, and uh, before we dive in, let me just go ahead and pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, you are good, and uh, you are uh, so many, many things to us. But one of my favorite things that characterizes you is that you're our, our friend, right? That we get to have a relationship with the God of the universe is, is just incredible, fact that you would give yourself so that we could enter into that relationship uh, just blows my mind each and every day. And I pray that this morning as we, we look at your word, as we're challenged by it, as we're shaped and molded into your image, that we would, uh, we would go willingly. All right? So we wouldn't resist, but we would rather be learners than students rather than uh, uh, teachers and masters. And so we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so... I'd like to just set up this passage a bit, right? I always like to give you some, some background. Uh, like I said, Paul's about to get down to business, right? So it's business time today. Um, and and we've, we've addressed some of these things, what a leader looks like, how we should approach culture and religion and all that stuff. And now his message turns from sort of these introductory ideas to kind of the meat and potatoes of the letter, if that makes sense. Right? And so we're going to see some elements of this letter that are, that are uh, uh, like I said, going to challenge us and, and kind of create a foundation in us that hopefully we can build something good on top of it. All right? So, that, so that's what we want to see. Um, as we read, we're going to see that it's pointing us in a direction. There's going to be some helpful bullet points that are like, hey, here's some characteristics, some benchmarks, some ideas. But this is, this is not exhaustive lists by any stretch of the imagination. These are not... Here's everything you need to know about this or that. Um, these are just kind of uh, bang, bang, bang bullet points, right? Um, yeah, I already said that. So uh, they're good. Here's, here's the other thing. The, um, oh, okay, sorry. The, uh, the message that Paul has is good for us, right? That, that these things are true. So the statements we read are true and accurate. It's not that we read the whole truth, but what he does say is, is accurate. And I just wanted to make mention of that. Um, we're going to be talking to pastors this morning, so that's going to be awkward for me. Uh, we're going to be talking to men and women. We're also going to be talking to this, this New Testament concept of, of slave, or we'll see it, it's more of a, an idea of employee. Um, and then we're also going to be talking to Christians in general, right? So we're, we're hitting everybody this morning, and uh, I'm, really, I'm really excited about that. 
So let's go ahead and dive in, read uh, chapter 2 of Titus. And uh, it starts like this. As for you, Titus, promote this kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach, what is, or they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely, to be pure, to work in their home, and to do good, and to be submissive to their husband, and then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, we want to encourage young men to live wisely, and that you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let every, everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching won't be criticized, and then those who oppose us will be ashamed and they will have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and, and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make uh, the teaching about our God and Savior attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should all live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin and cleanse us to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone dis disregard what you say. All right. So here's something to know uh, about Paul's intention for writing this. If you saw it, it's, it shows up again and again and again in this book, but Paul wants this church to do good. He wants this church to do good. Um, I'm having flashbacks to the final episode of Boy Meets World. Anyone? Boy Meets World fans? Okay, thank you. One. All right. Uh, so, so let me just set the stage. The whole crew is in the, the classroom, and Feeney's up there teaching, and, and he's giving them their last life lesson before they go off to college, right? And he goes, the last thing I want to tell you is to do good. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. So he says, the last, thing I, <laughs> the last thing I want to tell you is to do good. And Topanga, of course, corrects his grammar. Don't you mean do well? He's like, no, I, I want you to do good. And an entire generation of teenagers cried. <laughs> Apparently none of you were them. Okay, so, uh, so that's kind of the message that Paul is giving here, right? It's, it's the Feeney-ism, right? Paul's goal and we'll see it again, is to lift up these groups within the church to this same standard, to do good, to be good, to be about good, to have good fruit in your life. And we'll see it. He talks to men. He talks to women. He talks to employees. He talks to Christians in general. He talks to pastors. That we all have to kind of unite around this one idea to do good, right? Um. As we exemplify Christ in these areas of ministry, the result will be fruit, right? And that's, that's kind of the point of this letter. 
Um, so we're going to jump through this list a little quickly. Um, there's a lot of content today, so I'm just going to go kind of fast. I apologize. But. So the first one he starts, he actually starts and ends with this and sort of has a little piece in the middle. Uh, for pastors, uh, it might be a bit awkward because, you know, um, it's, I'm talking about really just to me. You're ever in like the car when somebody's on the phone and you hear the whole conversation, but you're not really part of it? That might be kind of what we're experiencing today. I understand that it's awkward, but um, I don't want to skip this stuff. And, and really, you guys should know what the expectations are for the scripture has for people like me who do what I do. Uh, so verse 1 and verse 15 directly deal with Titus and, and by proxy other, other pastors as well. He says, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. And he talks about teaching a lot. Even in the middle of this, he talks about teaching again. And at the end, teach them all these things and encourage them to do them. Right? So there's this expectation that, that there's a connection between what we say and what we, we should see. Right? So if I'm teaching all this stuff and, and no one's doing it, I'm probably not doing my job, is his, his response there. Uh, I also love at the end, he, you know, he goes on to say, you have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Yeah, you people, you have to listen to what I say. It's awesome. I got a verse and everything. Okay. If I'm doing my job, if I'm doing my job well, I'm way more concerned about the way in which we, like this, people in this room are characterized, right? How we're living. We could set up the, the stage and have the cool band and the lights and everything. None of that stuff really matters. Even what I say, what I'm communicating week in and week out, doesn't really matter if it's not embodied by the people who identify themselves as part of this church. So the litmus test really for the health of a church is what y'all are doing each and every day. I could get better as a teacher, maybe, but it doesn't really matter in the end if we're not willing to do something good with it, right? And it gives me kind of a thing, too, is because, like, then I have to focus. We, we, as pastors, tend to think about the things that we can control easily, right? I write a little talk, and I do it, and you know, we have volunteers, and I have schedules and all that kind of stuff that I'm doing. I can fix those things really easy. What's really hard for me to do is invest in people in a way that makes an impact. That's hard to do. And it's the thing that sometimes we lay aside because the easy thing is easy, right? So I have to, pr I have to protect myself against that, right? Um, so, so here's the thing is that as your pastor... Uh, I just want to say that I'm always available to you, always. You, you guys have my, my email, I think it's in the bulletin. If it's not, my phone number, here it is, it's right up here. Go ahead and call me, text me, whatever. We'll do coffee. I'll even buy coffee, okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm rolling. That's right. Just, anyway. Okay, so uh, you can call me, you can text me. You can even send me a woof if anybody, if any Office fans. So that's what we want to say to pastors. I, I want to make myself available to you guys, right? So that's the first one. Second one here is men. We have a list for, for guys. Paul moves on from pastors and he starts talking to the fellas. He lists off several things in this passage. Self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely, to, to be loving and patient. Guys, like I said, we're not an exhaustive list, right? He doesn't tell us not to be murdering people, right? But that's probably not something that we should be doing, right? 
Um, but it's just a, a list to keep us busy for a while. That's a pretty good list. I think we could all find a few uh, to work on. And here's my point with this, this message to men, is you are not a Neanderthal. Okay? You're not. Right? I thought that would get a laugh, but apparently it didn't. We sometimes complain, right, that we live in this world that paints men as like the Homer Simpson kind of useless at home, useless at work, you know, just goes drinking with his buddies and does bowling on Wednesday nights. We, we have this kind of image in our culture, and we sort of tend to think of that as a modern con- construct, if we're honest. At least many of us do. And the reality is, is that, is that nothing has changed in 2,000 years. If you, look, if you look here, Paul is saying, men, you have to earn a different narrative. If you don't want to be Homer Simpson, earn it. Live a life that's worthy of respect, and then people will respect you. Right? And it's, it's, sometimes it's hard. We get, we get kind of uh, in the, in the um, we get lazy as guys. We get lazy. And we want the respect without the process. Right? But it's important that we do that. Okay? Respect is something that is earned. Patience is something that grows slowly. Right? Love is something that's proved again and again and again. See, we have to rise to the challenge. And instead of confirming what everyone thinks about men, especially men in the church, we have to earn a different narrative. Right? We have to choose to rewrite what masculinity means. And what it looks like. And, and here's the thing. It's, it's, it's top down. It's, it's top to bottom. We're going to talk about this in a minute. It's got to be top down. It's got to start right in here and, and come out. Right? It's also got to be genuine. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to see how the mission of Jesus plays into that as he shapes us and molds us into the kind of men that he wants us to be. All right. So that's the guys. That wasn't too bad. Women. Women. It's always fun to be the guy talking about, like, it's, it's a little weird. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you guys have, a, have kind of a fun list, right? Uh, pa- Paul rattles off some things for women, um, and, and here's, here's just the bullet points again. Uh, not to be a slanderer, not to be drunk all the time, maybe ever, I don't know. Uh, to honor God, to love their family, to submit, or kind of the idea, defer to their husband, right? To do good is the last one. And uh, these, these are great concepts. And like I said, just like men, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's something to keep us busy for a while. Right? All, all the ladies can we, can, we can unite around a few of these, all of these, some of these, one of these, and we can improve. And here's the, here's the overall message that I'd like to kind of hammer in. Ladies, make every decision with Jesus first in mind. Make every decision with Jesus first. See, when it's easy to gossip about Denise's terrible outfit at work, you know, look at Denise's outfit. Can you believe, you know, when it's easy to do that, don't. Don't. Right? When it's easy to bring up the fact that, you know, Sandra missed the project deadline and, and that if you bring it up to the boss, the boss is going to forget that you, for, you know, showed up late three times this week. You know, so you, you get to get your shot in at Sandra, right? Don't. Don't do that. That's what Paul's saying. 
make a decision with Jesus first in mind. Think about Jesus. Don't turn to alcohol or gossip or slander or posting pictures of ourselves in that perfect Instagram light to make us feel better. Don't chase the things that help us feel better outside of what Jesus wants for us. Make those decisions. Find the support in Jesus first. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't find support in the community of God or in your friends and family and all that stuff. It doesn't mean that you can't find it elsewhere. I'm just saying that go to Jesus first. And as we make these decisions as women, make them with Jesus first in mind. That's what, that's what I'm trying to say. When it's easy to take shots at your man for being a little homer sensity, right? Don't. Instead, get in his corner, support, love your family, that kind of thing. Um, listen, the Bible uh, doesn't tell you to defer to your husband because he's smart or stronger or whatever. Don't make any mistake. Everyone realizes that you're the smarter ones, okay? We all get that, right? The idea here, to, to be instructed to do this is because you being in his corner, if you're married, you being in his corner makes him a champion every single time. Every time. And trust me, like, I, I know this because when Austin's in my corner, I feel like I can take on the whole world. I feel like that. And we're, 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 we're supposed to be a team, right? When, when, when my wife is behind me and when she'll run through a brick wall for me, me knowing, it, it, it just makes a whole world of difference, right? When we choose Jesus before all, it fills our families with love and pride and confidence, right? It's the way that it was it's meant to be, supporting each other. Not because he's smarter or faster, but because he'll feel valued. And so will you. You guys are a team, right? Okay, Jesus first. So we got the men, we got the ladies, employees. Anybody here have a job? Hopefully, yeah, okay. You guys raised your hand for that one. You guys didn't want me. Okay, so the biblical concept of slave in, in this context is really our, our, more our concept of, of employee. Uh, it it would have been closer to that. Um, so when you're an employee, uh, here's your list. So let's just hit the list real quick. Um, that you should obey. Do what you're supposed to, right? Not talk back. You shouldn't steal from the company. That includes paperclip. Okay? Uh, trustworthy and good. Those are the things that should characterize a, a good employee, or, or in this, to use their word, a slave, right? Um, the big idea is it's always take Jesus to work day. Every day is take Jesus to work day. Right? Anybody have, like, take your daughter to work day at, at their work? Here's the thing. Every day is take, your Jesus, take Jesus to work day. The Bible says that we represent Jesus all the time. All the time. For good or for bad. The people that we work with will see more of us than almost anybody else. Right? You can't fake it with your family, and you can't fake it with your cube mate at work. Right? Like, they're going to see you in the high and the low. They're going to see you when you're frustrated. They're going to see you when you're happy. They're going to see all of it. And because of that, uh, we have to be good ambassadors of Jesus while we're at work. We have to be. The chances are, is that if you can manage to be a good ambassador of Jesus at work, you're probably going to do pretty good elsewhere, right? 
So we've got to keep, keep that in mind. All right? So we've hit pastors, men, women, employees. Paul has one more real quick. Paul writes to Christians at the end here. And this is what he says. That Christians should be godly. That we should avoid sinful pleasures. That we should be wise and righteous. And here's what uh, righteous just means that we consistently are choosing the right things. Right? Oh, and the final one is that we should be devoted to God. That's a pretty good list. Um, and here's the big idea. That if you claim to follow Jesus, Paul's saying back it up. Right? If you claim Jesus, if you say, you know what, I'm a Christian. You know, I wear my WWJD bracelet or my, you know, whatever. Like, if you're, if you're on team Jesus, live like it. Right? It's easy enough to say, very hard to do. And Paul gives us a ton of stuff to work through here. Um, and so it takes a long time for us to perfect this. Uh, in fact, nobody, nobody has this down. You can't look at one of those things and be like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm as devoted to God as you possibly could be. I'm pretty much, I got that one checked off, right? No, we're continually being made good and made in the image, transformed by grace. All right, so we have our lists. Um, we have our list for all our people. Uh, let's break it down and get a little bit practical. And so this is kind of the main point this morning. I know it takes us a lot to get through some of that text. But, but here's the thing. Here's the first thing that I want us to remember this morning. Is that doing good is a top-to-bottom thing. Doing good is a top-to-bottom thing. And I mean this in two ways. The first is that Paul is an equal opportunity pants kicker. Okay? Right? He's hitting all of us, men, women, children, you know, people from France. It's all in there, right? He points the finger at everyone. Specifically in this text, we get a few, right? But other places in Scripture, it, there, is no, there is no way out, <laughs> right? Paul is saying all-encompassingly, we all need to push towards this idea and this ethic of doing and being good. It doesn't matter where you come from. The whole church has to unite around this idea, or it's not going to work. If everyone is participating in the transformative power of God's grace, it's going to be top to bottom. Everyone is going to be involved, right? And so the second way I mean this one is, uh, is that it's got to come from leadership first, right? It's got to come from leadership first. Uh, and, and you, you <coughs> if you hear me talk, the talk all the time, but I'm never living it out, you should be saying, hey, that's a red flag for me, right? If you hear me saying, hey, you need to do good and be devoted to God and pray with your name, and, and you don't see that in my life, uh, first of all, you know, that's a permission to give me a little swift kick, but also it should throw up a red flag about the rest of what is going on here. That's why it's kind of weird preaching a message like this because I feel the full weight of that pressure. I don't know if you know that. But like, I understand that what I say matters and that you guys examine my life in relation to it. That you look at Austin and I and the way that we treat our kids and the way that we live and what we choose to do. And I get that you guys look at that stuff. And that's kind of how it's supposed to work, right? So it starts with leadership, but it's, it's not just me, you know, our, our Renew Group leaders and our, our volunteers and our ministry leaders and our, our Pastor Bartley, and there's lots of people who we look to and say, is this matching, is this lining up? And if it is, man, get behind those people, right? Might not be me, that's fine, right? 
I, I, you know, I, it's got to be somebody though, right? It's got to be top down. And you need to follow leaders who inspire you to do good, right? Okay. So top down. The second thing I want us to remember this morning, the second thing I want us to remember this morning is that doing good has to be genuine. It has to be genuine. Right? God is not into behavior modification. He's not, he's not a fan. Right? He's into life transformation. Right? Nothing drives God crazy like fakers. Read the Gospel of John. You'll, you'll see over and over again, Jesus is confronted with people who say, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the team, and, and they're really greedy or slanderous or hypocrite, you know, and uh, he doesn't, it's entertaining. You should, uh, you should read it. Gospel of John. How Jesus deals with people who claim to follow Christ but do it with a disingenuous heart, it, it's, it should be a scary thing for all of us. Like, is that, is that me? God is not into fakers. Neither are we, right? As a culture, this is kind of an interesting byproduct of a technology generation of this kind of new era, right? The iPhone hit in 2007. The world has never been the same. And the reason is, is because we see people all the time, right? Gone are the days where a politician can sort of like hovel. You know, Teddy Roosevelt used to just like leave the White House and like spend months at a time in the wilderness by himself. It's true. That sounds awesome, right? But, but you can't do that anymore. Everyone is, sees these politicians the way they live. Same with pastors. Everyone sees the way they're going to snap a picture of you at Starbucks or, or whatever. And, and all of these people who put a facade up, it comes crumbling down because now we live in this generation where there's eyes and ears everywhere, right? And I think that's an interesting uh, byproduct, right? We can talk about like media and all that stuff and, and there's problems with it. But I think this one is a good one. We have a hypersensitivity to disingenuous people. Authenticity is valued, probably now more than ever. And we also have a nose to sniff it out, don't we? Like you can see, I remember watching America's Funniest Home Videos as a kid, and you could like see the ones that were set up, you know? And it's kind of like, oh, come on, you did that on purpose. Anyway, um, here's the thing though. Doing good has to come from a genuine transformation of your heart. Because we're so good at perceiving authenticity, we're, we're even better at checking people when it comes down to it, right? So if we're going to claim Jesus, if we're going to say we're going to do good, if we're going to try these two, like we have to really, it has to come from within us. It has to be genuine. It has to be, our, our, our goodness has to be connected in our hearts. See, if we like it, if we love it, or we hate it, you can't fake what's in here can't fake it. You can maybe like get away with it for a little bit, but eventually it will all come out. So doing good com must come from the top down. It must be genuine. And here's the third point this morning. Doing good must come out of the mission, out of our mission. Guys, verse 11 through 15, uh, they push us towards one thing that we should all be doing. We should all be doing. At the end of our journey, whether it's five days from now or 50 years from now, Jesus will be standing at the end. 
at the finish line. Jesus will be standing at the finish line, arms wide open, waiting for us to cross the line, right, and, and get there. And the question that's going to be in his mind and in ours is, man, did I do enough with the gifts that God gave me? Right? Did I, did I leave it all in the field? Did I push hard when I needed to? Did I, did I lean into Jesus? And, and the point is, is that, did I bear fruit? That's really, the, did, it, did it mean anything? To follow Jesus and bear fruit, that's the goal. To do good through the power of his transforming grace. It's the only thing that matters, right? The grace that takes that like dead heart inside of us and makes it alive and beating again. That transformative grace, if we don't do something with that, and we don't show up to heaven with a lineup behind us of people who know Jesus because you told them. See, sometimes we get so fixated on the things that matter now that we miss the things that are going to matter 10,000 centuries from now. And I want to be telling stories about, like, I want to be telling stories about you guys. I want to be telling stories about how proud it was, like, I was to see you share Jesus with that person in your cubicle who sees you on the highs and lows and, you know, you made egg salad and she got really mad at you that one day, right? I want, I want you to have stories like that that we can share and tell for eternity. We can't lose sight of this. We can't lose focus. Paul reminds Titus to be laser focused on the mission. And the mission is salvation for as many people as possible. That's it. The reason that we're here. Okay. Here's here's another point under that, okay? If you're good, the the good things that we do, if your good is an eternal good, then it's only Oprah good. It's only Oprah good. And Oprah's all right, you know. Inspirational videos, you know, little stories and vignettes, and, you know, maybe help us shed a few pounds, maybe help us get our life in order. All those things are good, but they're not eternal good. They're just Oprah good. They're just Oprah good. If it's not linked to something that's going to matter at the end, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? If it's not linked up to how we get to know Jesus and lead others to Jesus, if it's not linked up to the mission, then it's just all right. Being made good through the transformative power of the grace of God, made manifest through the people of God for the mission and purpose of God is the reason that we're here. The reason that we're here. Nothing else matters. That's good of a different caliber. It's like untouchable. It's like, man, this stuff is untouchable. It's not even in the same conversation. That's the kind of thing that we need to be fixated on. And Paul tells Titus to be fixated on this stuff. To teach this over and over and over again. See, I kind of have a little bit of an easy job in that I, somebody else tells me what to say every week. I just sort of like, you know, tell an Oprah joke and then it's fine. 
right? The, the reality is, is that if we're not subjecting ourselves to what God says is the most important thing, then it's just all right. It's not really good. Listen, as, as the band comes up um, and starts playing, I just want to, to point out a couple things, okay? And, and it's things that we didn't really get to this morning, um, but I wanted, I wanted to make mention of it. I wanted to not leave it unsaid, all right? So listen, here's, here's the thing that I want you to, to hear, is you, all of you, yes, you, you need a mentor. If you walk through that text again, you'll see older women teach younger women, older men teach younger men. It's, it's all connected. The expectation is that you have someone ahead of you who, who is, you're able to say, let's get coffee. I need to spill my guts about this, right? Or how did you raise kids? Or what did you do when that job opportunity came up? What happened when tragedy struck and you were sitting in a hospital? You were sitting in a hospital bed and you had no hope. How did you get through? You need a mentor. You do. Paul's expectation is that we have these people in our life. Let's not miss that. So that's the first one. The second one is that you should be a mentor to someone else. Right? Maybe you're not in that space right now. You know, maybe you're still learning. Maybe you've kind of skidded through this whole sermon without feeling like, ooh, man, this is, this is me. You should be a mentor to someone else. That's what God wants. The legacy of your life to be passed on to a future generation so that guys like me don't make the same mistakes that you did, right? Let's bless each other in that way. And you know what it takes? It takes a little bit of courage on the front end. A little bit. Hey, I think we should be meeting regularly. Text. It's a little bit of courage. But what you'll find is that the fruit of that is going to change families, it's going to change neighborhoods, and it's going to change the world. It really is. Given enough time, the investments that you make in people will extrapolate out exponentially no matter what. No matter what. What we're doing right here is because some guy wrote, some guy wrote a letter to a young man who was off to this little island where everybody was getting drunk, apparently. Right? And 2,000 years later, we're learning from the same words that he poured into that young man. You are the, you are the fruit of Titus's relationship with Paul in some small way, and you can be that for somebody else. I'm going to pray for you. I, I hope the Holy Spirit brings somebody to mind. I hope that you text them right now. I hope if you have a mentor in your life that you haven't connected with in a while, go ahead and text while we pray. That's fine. I'll give you permission. 